Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. Today, it's me, Greg, and I have Jeff and Aaron here with me, and this is going to be our industry news podcast edition. Over the past week or two, we've had a lot of news come down the pipeline that relates to retail and how that happens in the bike industry and new products and competition, so we're just going to dive right in and discuss it. Before we get going, I'd like to say we've covered a lot of these on singletracks.com. Uh, but in addition to our coverage, a big nod towards BicycleRetailer.com, which is sort of the pinnacle of news reporting in the bike industry and in on the industry side, I think. A lot of the original breaking news happened there, and so we're sort of discussing a little bit of what they talked about. To get things started, Giant recently announced that they are launching an online sales program that they've billed as direct-to-consumer but it's rather similar to Trex model. So if you buy a component or something like that, like it's shipped directly to your door. But if you're buying a bike, it's shipped to the bike shop and you have to go pick it up. Basic info, the shops get 100% commission if they carry the bike and 80% commission if they don't carry it. And they also pay shipping costs like they normally would if they had custom ordered the bike. So... The question for you guys is, when do you think brands like Giant and Trek will cut the bike shop out altogether? Well, uh, I don't know if shops will ever get cut out entirely. Uh, there's always going to be a segment of the market that they just want to walk into a shop and get a bike. Um, obviously, this is going to be the lower end of the market. You know, These are people that they don't really care. They just want a bike, and they're, you know, they're getting a bike for recreation or fitness or maybe for their kid or something like that, and they just want to go into a store buy a bike and walk out but at the higher end of the market i think you're going to see more and more people being comfortable purchasing their bikes online yeah i mean to me this it does seem sort of like a test for trek and giant to sort of see how the online business works i mean it's crazy that this is 2016 and these huge companies are just now getting into sort of mainstream e-commerce so i think they have a lot to learn and Eventually, yeah, I think they're going to figure out that the bike shops are kind of redundant and are slowing things down. I mean, if I was a bike shop owner, I would definitely be worried at this point that at some point they're just going to cut me out entirely. Yeah, I kind of think that shops will become maybe more showrooms than anything else. That'll be where you go to figure out what size you need. And it'll also be the service center. So you know, you could I, could, I think I could see shops becoming, you know, a certified service center for a, a certain brand, you know, so this is the certified giant service center, you know, it's where you go and you get fit to whatever bike you want. And it's where you take it for maintenance. But as far as purchasing the actual bike, you know, you do that online through giant. So that's kind of like a concept store, I guess, but maybe more focused on on service. It'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out because, you know, it could mean lower overhead for the shops. You know, they're not going to need to stock every model and size. They're not going to need to order as much. I mean, that could reduce their rent if they don't have to have as much storage. And, you know, the, the business landscape of bikes is changing kind of whether we all like it or not. I mean, like Jeff said, I mean, it's 2016 and these massive, you know, global companies are just now selling bikes online. I mean, I think if you looked at a lot of un- other industries, people would think it's crazy that it's taken that long to get to where they are now and, you know obviously the big players in the industry are feeling the pressure from the more consumer direct brands that we've seen that kind of already had a foothold in europe and taking over here in the u.s as well 
I mean, you've got a lot of parity between the brands and you know, in terms of design and performance. So consumers are really looking for the best deal for their money. You know, like it's who can, you know, a pike on one bike is going to work the same as a pike on another bike. So if they're similar bikes, which one can you get the pike cheaper on? You know, that's how I think a lot of people at the higher end of the market are starting to make their purchasing decisions. Good points. So talk to me a little bit about this whole shipping the bike to the store thing. So I don't know, for you guys, would you buy a bike online only to have to turn around and drive to your dealer to pick it up? How does that make any sense for the consumer actually buying the bike? For me, that, that is definitely a hassle. I like to drive as little as possible. And I think I think most people who ride bikes kind of feel the same way. So yeah, it's it's an extra hassle. But the same time there's not really any, any alternative i mean if you want that giant or that trek those are the rules that they have and i don't know maybe it's maybe it's a little better but but not really if it was a bike that i really wanted and it was the only way i could get it then yes it only makes sense for a consumer if their local shop doesn't have the exact bike they want though right i mean if for instance if you need a size at the extreme end of the spectrum maybe you need an extra small or extra large or an extra extra large and the shop doesn't stock it, or there's a certain color that your shop doesn't have. Maybe they have the bike you want, but you know you want the black and green one. You don't want the red and white one, or whatever. Or maybe you live in Kansas and you want a downhill bike, but your local shop doesn't carry downhill bikes because you're in Kansas, but you still really want one because you're going to Whistler or whatever that summer. Then yeah, there there are like some instances where it would make sense, but um, yeah, I think. For most people, it's just an added step. So we had a few commenters decrying this as like how bad it was going to hurt the shops without probably having read about you know the commission the shops are getting. Um, but they said you know drop Giant and pick up a different brand. But I guess what people don't realize is the only brand that you can't currently buy online is Specialized. So when do you guys think Specialized is going to jump in? Do you think it's going to be like this year, next year, coming soon? Yeah, I mean, I think Specialized, it, it's really surprising that they're so late on this. I think maybe in some ways they, they think of themselves as like a premium brand and so that they're sort of above all this. But on the other hand, and we're going to talk about Specialized later, I think, you know, Specialized sees themselves a lot like Apple Computer. And look at Apple. I mean, they sell stuff online. They have their own stores. Like they've got a strategy down that could work really well for bikes and could work really well for specialized so i'm not sure yeah how much longer they're going to hold out omni channel exactly yeah we'll definitely talk more about specialized later um, but keeping with the whole online sales thing another big news item that came down is the plans that wiggle and chain reaction have to merge into one company and i actually hadn't heard of wiggle before but apparently that's because they're primarily uh, road and triathlon based, but they're joining with Chain Reaction, which you probably have heard of, and that's more mountain bike based. And these are two online retailers. And according to the Bicycle Retailer article I read, their combined annual revenue will be more than $434 million a year, which is absolutely massive. So, what does this mean for, I mean, other online bike retailers? You know, we have other companies in the mix online. Like, how can they even compete with that, much less your local bike shop? So one of the things that has made Chain Reaction so successful is that their prices are much lower, even than a lot of the U.S.-based retailers. Even once you throw in shipping and 
Um, sometimes they even charge import tax and things. It's still cheaper than buying from some of the online retailers like Jensen and PricePoint here in the U.S. So, you know, with this merger, I don't know that they'll be able to reduce their prices that much more. I mean, a lot of times that's what a merger is about. It's about like cutting costs. So maybe they're going to cut marketing costs and their distribution is going to be more efficient because they have bigger warehouses and that kind of thing. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe they're going to reduce their prices a little, but it's hard to imagine that they're going to be able to reduce them even further. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think more than anything, it's going to make it difficult for their their competitors. You know, I don't, I don't think the consumer will necessarily you know see a drastic decrease in prices. But I mean, they're they're going to be huge. Like you said, four hundred and thirty plus million dollars in annual revenue. I tried to find some numbers. The only one I could find was Jensen USA. Their sales are in the twenty-five to thirty million dollar range. Oh, so you're wow. talking about a company that's over ten times the size. So that's a massive, massive company. So it'll be interesting to to see what they do in the online arena. Well, yeah, and I mean, I had no idea the the difference in size there. And you would think so. If you're Jensen, you might worry. Oh, these guys are gonna outspend us on marketing and that kind of stuff and everybody's just going to use them but the thing about online shoppers is a lot of times they're just looking at price you know i mean how many of us have done just like a google shopping search and you just scroll through find the cheapest one and order it even though you never heard of the retailer so i think online it kind of matters a little less but it will be interesting to see i know for me personally um, maybe i'm just kind of old school in this regard, but I don't like giving out my personal information to too many different places online. So I find myself sometimes shopping in the same place like Amazon because I'm accustomed to it. So part of me wonders if Wiggle and Chain Reaction becoming this one massive shop is just going to sell absolutely everything bike related and you'll have no reason to go anywhere else. But I don't know. I guess that, that all remains to be seen for sure. So talking about continuing drops in price, which is pretty good for the consumer. We just saw a brand new drivetrain from SRAM uh, drop within the past week, and it's dubbed the NX1. And essentially, this is the most affordable 1x11 drivetrain to date. And with a total price for the entire drivetrain, I mean, that's derailleurs, shifters, chain, cranks, etc. The whole price is $310 for a manufacturer-suggested retail, which is uh, pretty dang cheap. I mean, that's less than a xx1 cassette alone so i was gonna ask you guys what do you think the ideal candidate is for somebody who's going to purchase this drivetrain what does that mountain biker look like mostly i think it's the mountain biker that doesn't even know they're getting it you're going (laughs) to see this on a lot of entry-level bikes where people they just maybe don't have as much in-depth knowledge of the components you know they don't know the various levels they don't know the brands etc and they just want a bike that works in a one-by drivetrain that really simplifies things. I think it's, I personally have been a big, big proponent of one-by drivetrains for a number of years now. But, you know, I, I think it's it's great for everybody, especially with beginners. You know, you only give them one shifter to focus on, and that's a lot less stuff to worry about. I mean, how many times have you gone out on the trail and you see somebody having trouble because they're cross-chaining or cheap bikes, they have, you know, three by nine or three by eight drivetrains on them, and they just don't they don't shift as well. So by simplifying it, the drivetrain itself, I think you're simplifying things for the rider, 
and that's going to make people more likely to ride their bikes, which I, I, that's kind of what you saw in SRAM's promo video. It was all about, um, you know, the history of SRAM and how their whole thing is how to make shifting easier and more simpler for the user. So I think this just goes towards that goal. And from a manufacturer's perspective, I think it reduces cost and complexity for them. You know, like I said, you know, bikes that NX is going to be installed on, they're probably using 3x8 or 3x9 drivetrains up until now. So now they get to ditch the front derailleur, the front shifter, the cables, the housing. They get to use a simpler crank. So on like at the factory level, that's going to make it easier for these bikes to be assembled. It's going to be cheaper because they're buying you know, less parts for these bikes. So you may even see retail prices on bikes get a little more affordable because of this, because you don't have the added assembly costs and added part costs of a multi-ring drivetrain. I think it's a good thing all the way around. So one of the interesting things about an X1 is that there are really very few, uh, if any, technology differences from the NX1 to the XX1. The basic ideas are all the same with the narrow wide chain rings and the um, clutch style derailleurs and the way the derailleur works. But there's always a compromise. So what do you see as the biggest compromises that make the SRAM NX1 affordable? I mean, I think the most obvious one is the weight. Aaron pointed out to me that the cassette alone weighs over half a kilo and that's a lot of cassette. So, I mean, I think the weight, there's definitely not a weight savings. There's a weight penalty on it. For me, that's kind of a deal breaker. I mean, that's where I would not choose that. You know, I'd rather just go with the XO stuff that I have um, in a one by 10. You know, it's not worth it to me to add all that weight just to get an extra gear. Yeah, I'd say without riding it, it's, it's going to be hard to say, you know, if there's any compromise in terms of performance if but if my experience with the gx group is any indication there's not going to be a huge performance difference with the new group like jeff said the weight is especially the cassette is crazy i mean they claim 540 grams which is 1.2 pounds which is a lot of cassette if (laughs) um yeah like a gx a sram gx cassette so not even you know just a mid-range cassette weighs 325 grams so, you know, you're talking over 200 grams lighter. It's, it's pretty crazy. And also, you're going to lose some range on the top end. You know, instead of the 10-tooth small cog that you get uh, with this, you get a standard 11-tooth. Uh, and that's because, you know, you can use the new NX cassette on a standard free hub. You don't need the, the SRAM XD driver. So that, you know, that's kind of a good thing because it opens it up to be used on a broader range of hubs and you know SRAM also pointed out that this cassette is compatible with all of their other groups so you can use it with GX or X1 or X01 etc. I, I don't think the the small loss in the top end is that big a deal. I think the broader hub compatibility more than makes up for it for me anyway. I know we have some commenters um, one in particular who I will not name that he really likes to focus on the top range, but I just, I just don't think that's important to most riders. Um, I think if you ask, is it that big a deal to have a 10-tooth cog or an 11-tooth cog? I mean, the people that are sweating their gear ratios that much aren't going to buy an X1 anyway, so it's kind of a moot point. So I don't. Uh, when people bring that up, I'm like, yeah, you lose a little bit, but th- that person's not buying an X1. That person's buying XX1 or something else. They're not looking at a $300 group, so... I don't really buy that argument. 
or they're holding out for the rumored one by twelve coming soon. So <laughs> we'll see when that drops. Um, but uh, talking about continued uh, reduction in prices for retail bikes, Shimano recently cut the wholesale and retail prices on certain components above the SLX level. The trick is they cut all the components by the same amount. Some are are much cheaper than they once were. Uh, others not as much. And also, one thing we've heard recently, according to a commenter who claims to work for a bike shop, he said that the wholesale prices on these components haven't dropped nearly as far as retail. So that may answer our my first question, but do you see this change in price helping or hurting local bike shops? From what I read, the whole idea was to help the bike shops. I mean, that's kind of why Shimano did it, and part of it was to align the pricing better to help compete with online sellers like Chain Reaction who are getting pricing that allows them to sell at retail lower than what shops pay for wholesale on some parts. So what they did is it seems very complicated. So I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. Hopefully they did their homework and, you know, it's going to work the way that they say that it's going to work. Um, and if that's the case, then, yeah, it should, should help shops. Well, it depends, right? I mean, if you're a shop that has a bunch of, shimano components already in inventory you're kind of screwed because you bought that stuff at the higher price and now all of a sudden they reduced the suggested retail price on it and you're out a bunch of money so if you already had a bunch of shimano stuff in stock that's probably this is probably not welcome news at all at least Um, it's february that's right but honestly you know from what i've seen and heard firsthand so this is anecdotal error body a lot of shops, they've been reluctant to stock a lot of Shimano stuff because of the pricing issues. Like Jeff said, I had this point as well, and I really want to emphasize it. I mean, shops were actually ordering certain Shimano components from retailers in Europe and getting them shipped to their shops because it was cheaper than they could order it from a distributor here in the U.S. And that's just, that's kind of crazy. Something's wrong. Yeah. So... Hopefully, um, hopefully this will, in the long run, help shops. Because, I mean, obviously the online re- retailers are always going to have an edge. But hopefully this makes it cl- a lot closer to where, you know, if someone walks into the store and they want a Shimano derailleur, the price difference is only a few dollars. And, you know, for the the time you can save just buying it right there, maybe, maybe you do that. Maybe you buy it from the shop instead of ordering it online. Because, but, you know, right now when it's like, all right, I, I can order this and I can have it within a week and it'll cost me 50% less, then that's what you're going to do, you know? But if you're like, all right, well, I can order it and wait a week and save five bucks or I can walk out of the store today with it. I think it makes it a lot more attractive for the consumer who's at the brick and mortar store. But we, sh- we shall see. So one thing I've been wondering, do you think this is a response to what SRAM has been doing uh, in any way, where SRAM is releasing all these uh, much more affordable drivetrains? Or do you think this is all happening sort of independent of other competition in the market? I personally think the main driver is this um, sort of arbitrage that people are doing where they're buying stuff in Europe and uh, bringing it over to the U.S. where it's cheaper. I mean, part of it is the U.S. dollar is really strong, and so that makes things purchased in other currencies um, like euros a lot cheaper. So this is something that companies have to do from time to time to sort of realign uh, their pricing. 
So I think that's the biggest driver is just like currency and maybe some of the pricing that they have in other markets. But I do think also that, yeah, I mean, it could be a response to SRAM. What's interesting is that SRAM doesn't have these issues. And I'm curious to understand why they don't have the same issue. You know, why shops in Europe aren't getting much better pricing like they are for Shimano. So yeah, it is it is a little a little puzzling. Maybe we should do some in-depth reporting on the Yes. On why that is. But yeah, that's something I've wondered too. Yeah, why you know, why there is that SRAM doesn't seem to have the the same troubles with pricing that Shimano does. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, it's like you said, so SRAM is a US based company, but all the stuff's still made in China. So um Taiwan. I don't know. Taiwan. Not here. We don't make anything here anymore. <laughs> Talk about both SRAM and Shimano. Who? How do you see Shimano and SRAM stacking up against each other right now at the beginning of 2016 in their seemingly endless drivetrain war? Who's winning or are they still sort of hanging out neck and neck? SRAM for life. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think... He's that- got a tattooed on his chest. I do, yeah. <laughs> I'm showing it right now, but you just can't see it. I think people are always going to have their preferences. I mean, to me, that's that's what's funny is it kind of doesn't matter what the tech is or who came out with the thing first or whatever between Shimano and SRAM. People just seem to be really loyal to one or the other. And I think they're always going to be sort of neck and neck and one will pull ahead and the other one will catch up. And so I think it's good. It's It's good, healthy competition. And, you know, it's probably been a big driver of why we've gotten stuff like 1x11 drivetrains and you know, why SRAM is potentially maybe working on a one by 12. I mean, they're always trying to stay ahead. So I think it's good. Yeah. I, if you'd asked this question last year, I probably would have said SRAM was definitely ahead, but now I think they're much closer to being neck and neck with the, obviously SRAM got the jump on the one by thing and Shimano was very slow to react to that. And, but no, you know, now they have the, now they have 11 speed drivetrains. They have, electronic drivetrain in the XTR DI2. So, you know, some people may give them the slight edge there. But it's also interesting to note, SRAM just launched their road, their electronic road group. Um, so the and the most noteworthy thing about that is there's no wires. It's all wireless, and each component has, like, its own individual battery packs. So it's a really cool-looking system. Right now it's only available on, on their road line, but you got to imagine that they're going to transfer that over to Mountain soon um, to keep up with Shimano. Personally, if I had to choose, though, I would be SRAM as well. Shimano makes great stuff, but personal preference, SRAM. So we talked a little bit earlier about Specialized, and the big news with them is that Specialized has cut 3% of their workforce and has also restructured a bit, uh, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that means there's quite a few people out of jobs. So what do you guys think of specializing three new primary goals, which they claim to be innovation, marketing, and supply chain? Is that a, a shift for them, or is that basically what they've already been doing? I think that those three things make a lot of sense for Specialized. I think it fits really well with their brand and their culture. And you know, I mentioned it, the comparison to Apple earlier, and maybe I read this somewhere, and this isn't an original thought, but those are kind of the three things that make Apple such a successful company. You know, they've got this like massive R&D. 
their Apple is obviously a marketing company and then supply chain is where they really killed it, you know, and that's the thing that a lot of people don't necessarily recognize, but but yeah, if you if you can dial those three things in, you know, that's what that's what will make you successful as a modern company. So, I think it it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they're new goals. I would say that they're focusing on kind of their three core principles that they've already been kind of built around you know even for folks that don't like the brand i know there's a lot of specialized haters out there i think anybody would have a hard time arguing against the fact that specialized is one of the most innovative bike brands out there though i mean they you know they're constantly coming up with cool stuff i mean like the you know the brain suspension for one um that's something that they've been still working on for a very long time the swat storage you know with the cool ways to mount tools and water and that kind of stuff and you know, now you see the stump jumpers and the i think the camber they have the like hatch in them and the carbon frames where you can you know stick a burrito or a five pound bag <laughs> of peanut m&ms in your down tube you know that the the enduro Ooh. 29er was one of the first 29ers to really win a lot of converts over from the uh then popular 26 inch wheel so yeah, I think uh, like Jeff said, it, it makes sense for them to focus on these things. It's kind of what they had been doing already, but it sounds like they're trying to get even uh, even leaner for the days ahead. So speaking of innovation, a lawsuit that's been raging for several years between Stands and Specialized has finally uh, reached its conclusion, and it was over the design of a wheel. Um, based on all the litigation that Specialized has been launching against other brands. Um, a lot of internet commenters thought that they're suing Stans uh, when actually that was not the case. Stans actually sued Specialized for an infringement on their patent. Um, and over the course of the past several years, uh, they've won and won appeals and everything's gone in Stans' favor. So what do you guys think of the outcome of this lawsuit? It's crazy to note that Stans first filed that lawsuit in 2008. So this has been eight years coming. And in the meantime, I'm sure Specialized has been selling, you know, lots of wheels with that technology in it. And yeah, just hoping it, it, the lawsuit went the other way. So yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that there is that sort of technology. I mean, again, it, it brings it back to me to like the electronics industry. I mean, you see those guys suing each other all the time over patent infringement. And so to me, yeah, it just kind of shows that there really is a lot of technology built into bikes these days and people work really hard to come up with these new designs and things. And, you know, these are legitimate innovations. These aren't things that like, oh, they just, you know, are shipping it in red now. Like that's what the bike industry calls innovation. Like, no, this is stuff that really matters. And, you know, if somebody finds a way to build a better mousetrap, then they should be entitled, I think, to getting the, the rewards for that. Yeah, I think it's a big deal for stands and because they won, you know. And I think it's probably, to a lesser extent, it's probably not a big deal for Specialized. I mean, obviously they're bummed. They're going to have to pay some money. But in general, I don't know. I mean, I got to think that they've already moved on to a different rim design at this point. You know, Specialized was kind of one of the early companies pushing the um, hookless rims. And I know they're doing it on the carbon, but I think they may even be doing it on some of their aluminum ones. So I don't... Obviously, this is going to have some financial impact, but I think going forward, it's probably not that big a deal because, like I said, they've probably got a different rim design at this point. 
Well, thanks for sharing your insight with me, guys. It was uh, great to chat through some of the latest changes in the bike industry. Stay tuned next week, and we'll have another podcast for y'all. Peace.